Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, for his name, for his beautiful, wonderful, and powerful name, that it is in and through that name that all things are possible. God, we open our hearts up to you. Speak to us this morning, God. Let these words be yours and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. High five some people around you. Tell them good morning. Yeah. So good morning. How we doing, 1030? Woo! All right, all right, all right. Well, my name is Tori Newman. I am on staff here at Propel Church. Um, I am also the wife of our lead pastor, Pastor Nick Newman. Um, He is not here today and has entrusted this morning to me. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. I'm excited. I just taught at 9. I'm ready for 1030. So let's go. This week's been a little crazy getting to this point right here. I feel like I faced opposition after opposition, whether it was stress or anxiety, whether it was some physical opposition that I was feeling this week. But I'm here. Anybody else ever been faced with opposition before? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we we can all probably say we've been faced with opposition in one way or another, whether it was we're starting something new, we're healing a relationship, we're breaking an addiction or a bad habit. I think we are all faced with opposition. I find myself faced with opposition probably the most when I'm just trying to do the right thing. When I'm just trying to do what what God has said, hey, you're going to do this, okay, I'm stepping out, but I'm hit opposition after opposition after opposition. Anybody else? So today, I want to talk to you about the three times that I feel like we face opposition and who we face them from, and then what do we do about it? So I'm going to take you along a journey in Exodus, but before we get there, I've got to tell you what's going on. See, there was a man named Joseph. He was appointed second in command over Egypt. There was a great famine in the land. Joseph actually ended up saving not just Egypt, but all of the regions around Egypt. And Pharaoh had such great favor on his life that he gave Joseph whatever he wanted And so Joseph brought his family, because they were living in the wilderness, they were living in this famine, brought them into Egypt and said, hey, come live here, come live in plenty, come live and I will take care of you. Now, Joseph was one of 12 brothers, that's a lot, and at the time, there were a total of 70 members of Joseph's family. Now, they were descended from a man named Abraham, who had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel. These are the 12 sons of Israel. We call them now the Israelites that we see in this story. Well, time goes on, and eventually there comes a pharaoh to power who does not know who Joseph is or what he did for Egypt, how he saved this entire country from a famine that would have wiped them off of the face of the earth. There comes a pharaoh that doesn't know this, 
But he sees the people, the Israelites, and there's a lot of them. They outnumber the Egyptians now. And Pharaoh's fear is that they're going to take over, that they're going to join with enemies and, and take over Egypt and overthrow the kingdom. And so what does he do? He says, well, we have to stop them from growing because that's their problem. There are too many of them. So we've got to start them, stop them from growing. So he enslaves the people of Israel and, and makes them work hard, makes them make bricks. I, I don't think it's far off to say what you see in Egypt now was made on the backs of Israelite slaves. That's what they had them do in the hot sun. Exodus said Pharaoh made their lives bitter. But that didn't stop them from multiplying. That didn't stop them from growing. So Pharaoh says, okay, I've got to take something different, take a different approach. And he says, hmm, no male, no heirs. So he creates a mass genocide among the Israelites and says, okay, we're going to go and we're going to kill every baby boy under the age of two. And, and what he does there is to, to stop any line of Israelites. But there's one woman, and she actually keeps her baby a secret. She keeps him hidden. And this is successful for about three months. You guys with kids know that a three-month-old is a little more difficult to keep quiet and still than a newborn. <laughs> <laughs> so what does she do? She takes him and she puts him in a basket and she sends him down the river and just prays that God's going to take care of him. Yeah. He ends up at Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh's daughter takes pity on him, has mercy on him, and keeps him. Calls for a nurse. Turns out to be the baby's mom. This baby is Moses. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace, but he knows He's not an Egyptian. He's an Israelite. So he goes out one day to, to see his people, and he sees them being mistreated. And one in particular is being beaten relentlessly. And so when Moses thinks that nobody is watching, he kills the guard that was beating the Israelite and hides the body because nobody, no crime. Well, somebody saw. Word gets up to Pharaoh that a man who was brought up in his household attacked and killed an Egyptian and he wants blood. So Moses flees and he goes and he ends up in Midian and marries the daughter of a priest. They, have, they start a family. Moses is out watching his father-in-law's sheep and this is where we pick up. Because despite the fact that Moses fled, the Israelites were still enslaved to the Egyptians. And they had been crying and calling out to God. And God answered and says, okay, I'm going to send Moses. And so he talks to him through a bush that is on fire. Number one, I don't approach things that are on fire. Um, Number two, it's in the desert. And number three, it's not burning up. So I guess to him he was like, "Ah, that's cool. Bush is on fire, but it's not burning. So I'm going to go check it out. God calls to him from a bush. Again, I'm turning and running the other way if some bush is calling my name. But Moses says no, and he steps into the presence of God. And God says, hey, I hear the cries of my people, and I'm sending you. 
And they have a conversation that's about two chapters long, and I'm not going to read you all of it, but in that conversation, five times Moses says no or makes an excuse to the call that is on his life that God is giving him. He says no. He says things like, who am I to do this? What if they don't listen to me? What if they ask me about you what if they don't believe me I'm not good with words will you please send someone else and this is the first opposition that he faces God has this calling on his life and the first opposition happens before he even takes those first steps and they have to happen inside of each and every one of us they happen inside of, of Moses. He's got to get past these insecurities that he has about himself, this who am I. Well, I think if we want to know who we are, we have to first know whose we are, which is God's. We belong to God, and out of that, everything else flows. And so, so Moses is like, well, who am I? And I think really what he's thinking is, do you know what I've done? I killed a man and ran away. Do you know what I've done? Who am I to go and do this thing for you? And sometimes we let our past become insecurities that keep us from the calling of our lives. And he says one more thing. He says, I'm not good with words. He uses his inabilities, his personality, to try and negate the calling on his life. I hear so many people that are like, no, I can't go tell people about Jesus because I'm introverted. So what? Your personality is there so you know how you're wired not to be used as an excuse to ignore the calling that is on your life. I am introverted, okay? Do you know what that means? It means that large crowds, they don't energize me. Quiet spaces do. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't go into large crowds, but it means that's not the majority of where my time is spent. It also means that's, that that what it doesn't mean is that I can't go do what God has called me to do. And so despite all of this, before these steps are even taken in your life, you have to deal with things internally. They are here and they are here. And you have got to overcome them if you're going to make another step. So Moses finally is like, hey, can you please send somebody else? God's like, no, I'm going to send you, but I'll let you take your brother. So Moses gets, with, uh, <laughs> Moses gets with Aaron, his brother, and they head to Egypt. And it says this in, Moses, or Moses, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, later Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. So Moses takes a step of faith. He gets outside of his comfort zone. He gets past his insecurities, and he's met with no. Not only is he met with no by Pharaoh, it says later on that Pharaoh decided, oh, well, since they're, you know, making excuses to not work, I'm going to make them work more. And he continues to make the lives for the Israelites even more miserable. So not only did Pharaoh say no, but, but he made things worse than they were. 
but he's not the only one upset. In Exodus 5, 19, the Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for these people, and why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for these people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. So I think the second opposition that we face happens in the middle of when we're working towards that goal. And it comes from two places. I think it comes from authority, and it comes from the people that are closest to us. Friends and family. See, when you're taking a step of faith, it's not just your life, but the lives of those around you that are being effective If you're married and have a family and decide, oh, hey, like, I want to start a business, so I'm going to quit my job, um, finances get a little tight. So tight. And where does that bring frustration? In your family. And what does that equal? Why did you even do this? Do you not know we can't put food on the table this year, this week, that our lights are getting ready to be cut off because we can't pay bills? And there's this frustration and this questioning, and that's our opposition, and again, with authority, But just because people tell you no doesn't mean your dream is over. See, what Moses then did was the Israelites came to him and they were mad at him. And then Moses went straight to God. He He didn't go to Aaron or like his family back in Midian and be like, can you believe these Israelites? He went straight to God and said, hey, you told me to do this. What are you doing? I'm doing my part. What about you? See, I think that in the midst of things, we have to remember that our dreams are too small if we can do them on our own. But we need to dream bigger so that only God can come in and intervene. That that's the only way that that can happen. Like, yeah, you're not, like, you can't do this on your own. You can't. Like, you just can't. You were not made to do life alone. At the very beginning, when God created the world and he created Adam, he looked and said it's not good for man to be alone. And it was the relationship that he had with Eve and then the relationship that they had with God. See, we're not made to do this alone. We need God to come in and intervene. And this happened time and time again for the Israelites. See, Moses would go to Pharaoh, Pharaoh would say no, Moses would go back to God, and God, this is how I see, said, hold my tea and watch this. Right? Right? Like, just because Pharaoh said no doesn't mean that it was over. When we set out to launch Propel Church, Pastor Nick had a meeting with the former principal of this high school and sat down with her and um, and he said, hey, this is what I want to do. Can we do it in the high school? And she said no. But that didn't mean it was over. God had said this is what was going to happen. And he left that day with a smile on his face, and she just kind of looked at him like, what? Didn't you? I just told you no. 
And he was like, no, no, that's fine. Like, this is what God said he was going to do, and if he's not going to do it through you, that's totally fine. And he left. Um, (laughs) He still honored the authority of the no, which I think is important that we do, is when authority says no, we don't try and overwrite them. We honor them, and we go to God and say, hey, you said to do this, so now intervene. And so that's what God does. See, the thing that Pharaoh said at the very beginning was who is the Lord that I should obey him? He didn't know who God was. See, the Egyptians had all these gods. The Lord was not among them. And so God was like, okay, challenge accepted. I'm going to show you who I am. And so that's exactly what he does. Ten times this happens where Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says no and Moses goes back to God and God's like, okay, here, let me do this. And Pharaoh is like, okay, okay, make it stop. Oh, but you still can't go. (laughs) And, And it happens time and time again and then finally something happens in Pharaoh and he breaks and it says in Exodus 12, he summoned Moses and Aaron during, during the night and said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked and leave. God intervened and Moses kicked the people out. <laughs> he said, get out, go, leave, take your stuff with you. Get out from among all of my people. We don't want you here anymore. You can go. We're done. I'm done fighting with you. I'm done fighting with your God. Just go. And then he says, oh, and also bless me. (laughs) See, at the beginning, he didn't know who God was or how great God was. And then over the course of God intervening, he began to know and understand who God was and that God was indeed greater. And so he said, okay, cool. Like, if that's what your God does, then bless me before you go. And when you take steps in the direction to accomplish these these visions and these dreams for your life and you're doing it in partnership with God, what happens is people around you start to notice. And they're like, hey, I want to get in on that. And that's what happens here. Pharaoh says, hey, I see, I get it. Okay, I didn't know your God. I didn't know, like, why I should obey him. But I know now. Um, and bless me before you leave. So the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They're hightailing it out there. And as they're leaving, I say leaving, being kicked out, um, the Egyptians are actually giving them things as they're leaving. Here, take this food, take my jewelry. Here, there's a goat you can have and some sheep, and there's some clothes in the back. Just take them on on your way out. (laughs) And so the Israelites are pumped. God has set them free And they are leaving Egypt, headed to the land that he promised Abraham way back when. That's where they're headed. And so as they're leaving, there's celebration. Moses' sister sings a song. It's really cool. Um, And they feel like they're good. And they get get to camp out on the shore of the Red Sea. And just when they think they've made it, this happens in chapter 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. 
So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside those places. <laughs> I, um, I think the third opposition that we face comes right after we accomplish what we set out to do. They have stepped out of free into freedom, and what happens? They're being charged from where? From behind. This is where this opposition comes from. It comes from the people behind you. It comes from either the people that you were already ahead of that are upset because you got there first, even though you were already ahead of them, or the people that you surpass on your way. And the hard part about this is that these people helped you. You sought wisdom and guidance from people ahead of you and from people behind you. You were helping people. You were getting help from people ahead of you. You were helping people behind you. You were a team working together to accomplish this goal. And suddenly, whether you surpass them or they're just upset and jealous because you accomplished it first, they're attacking you. And these are the people that blessed you on the way out. The Egyptians blessed the Israelites on the way out. And now they're attacking them from behind. But it's not over. And you would think, right, God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. He got them this far. Like, surely he has a plan. And they can trust him. And sadly, this is not what happens. In verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you, could have, that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Oh my gosh. So overdramatic. The Israelites are. And I wish I could say it gets better. It doesn't. This is their attitude. For like they go through so much. And this is always their attitude. <laughs> this, so much sarcasm there at the beginning. Right? Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? You've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Like, what? <laughs> that's, that's not how you start out a conversation. Like, why, why did you bring us out of here? What are you, what are you doing? We should have stayed. <coughs> we should have stayed in Egypt and be, continued to be slaves than to die out here in the wilderness. Yeah. Was it really that bad, what we did before? Um, yeah, it was. You were miserable. You've been out of Egypt for like, what, a day or two? And you forgot how terrible it was? 
But the other part that makes me frustrated about this is that because I know it is also me. That this is, this is how I get sometimes. I forget the goodness and the greatness of God moving from one thing to the other. And I'm like, why did we even, why did we change this? Why did we do this? And God is like, do you not know I haven't left you? Like, he didn't just peace out. So what do we do? What do we do when we hit those times of opposition? What happens to the Israelites? They've hit this moment of opposition. See, I think that after initial breakthrough, there will always be an opposition that makes you question why. Makes you ask yourself, why did I do this in the first place? Right. So what do we do? I love what Moses says in this next verse. He answers the people and says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Some of you guys just need to let that sink in. I'm going to read this again. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians, those, those things in your way, the opposition you are facing, you will never see again. Why? Because the Lord will fight for you. You need only to what? Be still. To be still. To be still and what? To be still and fight? No. To be still and let the Lord fight for you. To be still and fear? No. To be still and trust in God's promises. See, we heard no we were faced with opposition. We were faced with, you're too young. You don't have enough money. That town's not big enough for you. <laughs> Two weeks after that meeting with Pastor Nick, the principal retired. <laughs> the new administration came in, and, and he knew Pastor Nick and said, hey, man, I've seen what God is doing in you. I've seen the change that he has brought you through. And you know what? If you need anything, just let us know. If we can do anything, we will. Pastor Nick said, actually, <laughs> and they signed the papers for us to be here. Almost four years later, we are still here because we were still and trusted in the promises that God gave us. Amen. You need only to be still. Let's stand. So what happened to the Israelites? They're between the sea and the Egyptians. And Moses says, you need only be still. And in that moment, God parts the Red Sea. And the Israelites were able to walk not in knee-deep water, not in ankle-deep water, but Exodus says, on dry land across 
to safety. He distracted the Egyptians enough for them to all go through. There were over a million of them. And they all passed through safely. And as the Egyptians saw what was happening, they tried to go through the same path God had cut for the Israelites, and the sea closed in on them. And they were literally never seen again. See, God is not going to peace out on you right after he brings you through something. He's a ride or die. He's going to stick with you through everything, through thick and thin. He is there. He's not just, hey, I brought you through this, but see ya. That's not what he does. He is on our side fighting for us. You need only to be still. Some of you guys are in here today, and, and this God thing This following Jesus is not the walk in the park that you thought it was going to be. And let me be honest, it's not. We have a real enemy who is a real threat, who is willing to do whatever it takes to stop us every step of the way. But here's what I know, that the God fighting on my side is greater than anything the enemy could throw against me. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you. It's not just true for one person. It's true for everyone. So are you with me? Will you push through the opposition you are facing in your life to watch God show how great he is, make himself known not just in your life, but in the lives of others, and see you through the other side of the sea? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be still in the presence of God and let him do what only he can do? And then there are others of you in here who maybe you don't know God, but you know what you have been doing is not working. You keep hitting opposition and you're back here. And you try to take a step forward and it throws you back even further. And you know you can't do this on your own. Your dream, the dreams and the visions that you have in your heart are bigger than anything you can accomplish on your own. And you need a God who's going to be by your side, who's going to fight for you. And you are ready today to say yes to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today and you say yes Yes, I need that. Yes, I need a God who is on my side. Yes, I need someone who will fight for me. Would you just lift your hand? Now we're going to say, I want you to repeat a prayer after me, but I don't think anybody should pray alone, so so we're going to all pray together. If you would say this after me, Jesus, Today I give you my life. I put my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate with those who made decisions for Jesus today? So... 
We got one more song, and we introduced it last week. It's called Holy Ground, and I love how well it ties in to this story of Moses. At the very beginning, remember that random bush that was speaking to Moses? That was God. And he said, Moses, Moses, and Moses stepped forward. God said, take off your sandals for where you are standing is holy ground. It was where the presence of God was dwelling. And this song that one of the lines says, let every burning heart be holy ground. Let every burning heart, heart that burns for God, be a place where his presence resides in. So today, let this be a place where you surrender whatever that battle is you're trying to fight for yourself to be still in the Lord and let him fight for you. Let's worship.